Amen. You may take your Bibles and be seated. We'll be back in, as I said before, into the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6. We'll uh, be reading 9 through 13 again, but we're taking each section apart, verse by verse. Uh, and that if you need a pew Bible, there should be one close to you, and that would be on page 811. That would be on page 811. Now, I, I'm going to date the age of some of you folks this morning by bringing up a song, and um, some of you younger people may have heard it. If, if, you know, like I grew up listening to some of the crooners, I like the crooners a lot, and this was done by one of the crooners. Some of you will recognize this right away. So the lyrics go like this. And so, I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear, I'll state my case of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway. And more, much more than this, I did it my way. Okay, there you go. There we go. There we go. So the song, as it continues on, it goes through various aspects of life, pointing out uh, the various ways in which the singer did it his way. And then the song crescendos into this final stanza. Listen to the words of the final stanza. For what is a man, what has he got? If not himself, then he is not. To say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows and did it my way. Now this song has been sung at, at, at countless funerals and memorial services. And since the time of its recording, it became a signature song for Sinatra, actually. And then actually Elvis did a recording of this, which was very popular. Um, and it was actually written for Sinatra in mind, which I found was very interesting as I did a little research on it. I always do a little research on things. I'm like, wow, that seems interesting. Let me find out a bit more about that. But the inter most interesting thing about this song is it reveals something significant about the human condition, doesn't it? That there is a clash of wills, if you will. A clash of wills between fallen humanity and the Creator God who made us, whom we've rebelled against. And so this clash even comes up in a way in this prayer. As we will read it, perhaps you will catch it. Let us read the Word of God from Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Jesus says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us pray. Father, we know that the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And so we stand before it now, expecting you to teach us more about what this prayer means, more about what this statement, your will be done, means in our lives and in this world. And so, Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, Illuminate, illuminate it deeply in our hearts and minds. Help us, Lord, to not only hear it as it is illuminated in our hearts, but live it out for your glory. We pray this in Christ's wondrous name. Amen. 
Now, we have, over the last several weeks, covered two petitions, which comes uh, through this Lord's Prayer. Um, Through them, Jesus is teaching us that as we enter into prayer, we are to be preoccupied with His name. We are to be preoccupied with the kingdom. And today, as we come to the third petition, we are to be preoccupied with His will. Now, how might this preoccupation contrast to our own praying. How might it contrast to our own praying? Uh, might we approach the Father in prayer um, and, and be often self-centered, um, egotistic, focused on what we think our needs are instead of the glory of God and the will of God? This prayer, therefore, as we have to look at it, is a grace. It is a grace to us because it not only teaches us as so often as the Word of God does, um, it also corrects us. It leads us in the right way. It leads us in God's way toward God's will. So what does it look like for us to pray in a way to reject our own wills and then to obey our loving Father's will without any backtalk whatsoever? I mean, parents, can you imagine not getting back talk from your teenagers, right? Well, sometimes we're teenagers when it comes to God. So how do we understand it? How can we understand this to where we won't give uh, back talk to God? Well, the petition breaks down into two essential elements here. The first element is, is that His will would be clear to us. So that's what we'll look at, that His will will be clear to us. And secondly, that we would have the strength to do His will. So when we look at the phrase, your will be done, the first point is, Father, make your will clear to us. Father, make your will clear to us. Uh, To pray this petition is to ask that God's will would be clear to us as we truly need wisdom and insight on, you know, large levels in our lives. We need it on small levels, everyday decisions in our lives. Um, So, you know, as you come to this, think about it. What are your cares? Um, What are your concerns? What guidance of the Lord uh, would you ask for Him? How would you want His will to be known in your life? The Bible, even in a quick overview, if you just open the pages and begin flipping through, the Bible is deeply, deeply concerned about the will of God and our knowing it. Uh, When we speak about God's will, we speak of at least two distinct, and there could be more. I know in my study, I came across all these things. I'm like, I could go on and on and on about the will of God. But let's focus on two distinctives right here today that that really speak to us. The first one is this. When, When we're seeking to understand God's will, we must understand that God's will is decretive. God has a decretive will. And what does that mean? That means that in the broadest sense of the notion, His will is known through His decretive will. This would be His sovereign or His hidden will whereby He ordains everything that comes to pass. And so this is God's working in the history of the world. It's Him bringing about His plan, His plan of salvation. It's about Him working in all things good for all His people. Uh, And that was a hundred years ago. It was a thousand years ago. It's today. 
He cares about you. He is working all things for good in your life as well. And so the good news is, as we think about his decretive will, is that God is sovereign. And and so what that means is, is that his will, think about it, his will can never be thwarted or even frustrated. Never. As a matter of fact, the Bible is clear that we can be sure there isn't anything that happens which is not under his control. It's all through the Bible. Let me just pull out a couple passages for you. Psalm 33.11 says this. Psalm 33.11 The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart to all generations. What about Isaiah 46.9-10? I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, uh, from the ancient times, things not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand. I will accomplish all my purpose. God is sovereign. His will will stand. It will never be thwarted. It will never be frustrated. Now, here's the thing about that. It's mysterious, isn't it? It's mysterious. And we must admit that it's mysterious. And what's interesting and most difficult for us as we try to get our minds around it is that God does not try to minimize this fact at all. He makes it clear. There are things which you will not know because I am the Lord. One of my favorite verses, and a verse that everyone should have memorized, if you have one of those study sheets, it's on there, Deuteronomy 29.29. That passage says this, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. Think about that for a moment. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. We can rest easy with Him on that. We can trust in Him on that. The question would be, well, what do you mean by that? I think a lot of people really struggle with God on this level. And what I'm saying is, is that the first thing that you have to come to grips with when you come to Scripture is that God is good. He's good. And so because He's good, you can trust Him. Now, if our God wasn't a good God and He had evil tendencies like maybe some of the, the, the gods of the Greeks and the Romans, then we wouldn't trust Him, would we? But because He's good, even when things happen that don't seem good to us, He's working all things for our good because that's what He promised to us. And you have to believe that. You have to hold on to that. You have to trust that. You know, in the end of it, when it all comes down to it, the worst thing that can ever happen to us is death, right? No? No? Sure, there's a lot of other things that can happen that are terrible for us. But we all die, don't we? Even in death, even in shame, even in brokenness, even in hurt and pain, God is good, isn't He? He's good, always. We trust these verses. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. He will do all of His holy will. So there's the first aspect of His will, His decretive will. The second distinctive way in which we speak of God's will, specifically when we think about prayer or just God in general, is His perceptive will. His perceptive will. 
Now, through God's, though, though I should say it this way, though God's creative uh, or, or decretive will is mysterious and hidden, the secret things belong to God. Deuteronomy 29, 29 continues. It says, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever that we may do all the works of this law. And so his perceptive will in that, he reveals his will through the grace of the law throughout scriptures and precepts and principles and in rules for holy living. And yes, I did say that is a grace. It is a grace to us that we would live in a way in which he would created us to live. For example, it is the will of God that we do not steal. Um, a couple weeks ago, uh, uh, the girl next door that, that lives, and she's a teenage girl, she had her car stolen out from her house. You, I can't tell you how angry it makes me. It just makes me angry. Why would some person come and steal another person's car? It makes me angry. Why can't we live in harmony in the world? You, you see what I'm saying? So it's God's will that we not do that. It's also God's will that we love our enemies. Jesus says, love your enemies. Um, God's will is, is that we would uh, repent from sin. We do that in our services. God's will would be that we would honor our mother and father, and so on and so on and so on. All these pre uh, precepts, principles, commands that are out there that give us an idea of this is how God would have us to live. Now, when it comes to God's perceptive will... And his decreative will, it's very interesting to try to grasp some understanding of Christian thinking throughout church history. I came across this in seminary, and I came across this in my reading again in two different places that really makes me think about it. James uh, C. Petty in his book, Step by Step, James C. Petty, Step by Step, if you want to read something very good and dense and helpful about the will of God, it's a great book to read. He points out this. He says, Until the industrial age, most Christian writings on guidance emphasize guidance to God and not guidance from God. That's interesting, isn't it? When, when they, let me say it again. Until the industrial age, most Christian writings on guidance emphasize guidance to God and not guidance from God. In other words, fascinatingly, our forefathers were simply not as obsessed by the issue of guidance in terms of the will of God the way we are today. If you look at not only books, but also conference schedules and radio discussions today, many are geared toward the issue of guidance from God. How do we know the will of God? How can we discern the will of God? Why is that? And why was it different back, say, you know, 200 years ago? Why was it different 200 years ago and beyond that most of the books were not written about guidance that we receive from God, but guidance to God? Think about that for a moment. It's very telling. Is it because that we have a far greater variety of employment opportunities they did in the past? Is it because marriages are handled differently today than they were in the past? Maybe it's the importance that we give to leisure that creates various moral issues of complexity that would have never occurred in past generations or maybe it's because they were much more concerned with holiness than we are. 
We're just concerned maybe with getting our own way. While all of these have some truth then perhaps more importantly is the fact that Christians today are confused to how guidance comes to us as it specifically relates to the Word of God. In other words, many Christians today have become so preoccupied or obsessed with finding the will of God for their lives in terms of God's decretive will, but they do not understand that His perceptive will is what drives our true understanding of His will for us in our everyday lives. Let me give you an example. Romans 12.2. Romans 12.2 says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? That by testing you will, may discern what the will of God is. His good and acceptable and perfect will. What does it say here? What does this verse say? It says basically, don't be conformed to the world, meaning the world that screams out, my will be done. I want to do it my way. God forget you. I've, I'm, this is the way it's, I'm going to do it. No, it says rather, instead of living that way, renew your mind in the Word so that you know what God's will is. And you know what to do. His good and acceptable and perfect will. Let me give you just a few scriptural examples. Uh, James Petty actually points these out. They're really good to think about. So he, he points out, first of all, time. Okay? Does God have anything to say about how we use our time? Does He? Ephesians 5, 17, and you could find all sorts of verses. But Ephesians 5, uh, 15 through 17 says this. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time. Because why? Because the days are evil. Think about that. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So here Paul is emphasizing for us the importance of careful consideration of the opportunities that God provides for us in the time that we have before He returns. So let me ask you a question. Do you ever think about that? How should I be living my life before the Lord returns? The, the world will definitely give you a way to live in those terms. But have you ever thought just for a moment, maybe the Bible has something for me to wrestle with when it comes to my time? How should I live my life with my time? Have you ever thought uh, that that book that's consuming you, that that uh, show that you can't stop binging, or maybe that video game that you're just playing continually is a potential colossal waste of time? In the comparison to what the Lord may have you do until He returns. Now listen, I'm going to tell you, this is, this is, I have to think about this a lot. I wrestle with this a lot. Since the end of May, I've read seven novels. And I get consumed by it. And I, was, I actually went to lunch with Conrad this past week and I was telling him about it. And I said, I get so consumed in the story. It's like nothing else matters. It's like, okay, I'm coming home from work. Uh, okay, every, how are you doing, honey? Everything's good. Let me go read my book. Because I'm so consumed by that story. 
Do you think that might be a foolish waste of time? Now, here's the thing. The story's good. I learn a ton of things. I've actually used a lot of illustrations you don't even know in the, in the, in the service. So, hey, it's all for, it's all for uh, sermon illustration material, right? No, not always. Sometimes it consumes. Now, I could make the excuse and say, well, I don't watch a lot of TV. And that's true. I just don't. Now, but I could easily slip into that too. I can get into something and start binging. You know, football season's getting ready to come up. That can be a time killer. Do you see what I'm saying? We, what, I'm not asking you to be a legalist. What I'm asking you to do is to consider your life before the Lord. How might God's Word help us in learning about how we're to spend our time? What about the second one here? What about marriage? Marriage, what does God have to say about this topic? Um, is that not a hot topic for our world today, marriage? It is. It's, it's a very hot topic in our society on multiple levels. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7 lays out, if you just take a reading of that chapter, it lays out so many things to consider about, about marriage. And it's specifically, they're talking about widows. So you can learn if you're a widow or a widower about how you should think about remarrying. Um, you should, it'll tell you a little bit about how Christians should consider marrying, who they consider marrying. Um, it, it wrestles with the thoughts of process of, should I stay single? It, it has matters concerning sexual self-control. It also reveals to us a, a true knowledge and an understanding of the, the various reality of burdens that we face in marriage. So do you think God is, is concerned about that? The Scripture is full of guidance of God's will and the choice of a mate. Um, uh, Proverbs 31, 1 Peter 3, Ephesians 5, 1 Timothy 3. It not only tells us what one may look for in a mate, but if truly understood, what we should aspire to be as a potential mate. Do you see how it's two-sided? God's Word is filled with these things. It truly helps us to discern even our calling. Am I, am I able, am I ready to care for someone? In a, in, a, in, a marriage, in a marriage relationship. There in the Scripture is guidance about the will of God concerning money and food and drink and giftedness and friendships and dealing with broken relationships. There's a lot in there about the tongue and how we use our words. There's words in there and understanding in there about work ethics and so on and so on and so on. It's so prevalent. This is what the Westminster Confession of Faith says. Listen, the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for His own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life, is either expressly set down in Scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from Scripture. In other words... The Word of God speaks clearly about His will for our lives. And so what you look at then in terms of this is, is that once you have the, the understanding of that perceptive will of God, it guides and directs His declarative will. That mystery becomes a lot narrower, doesn't it? And so to know God's will is to know His Word. 
We're not given the ability uh, to know His hidden will readily. Sometimes we're given insight um, in terms of maybe we can see some things that the Lord's doing in the world. Sometimes we have, we have a lot of hindsight in what He did, but most of the time we just we don't know what His decretive will is before us. It's hidden. It's mysterious. But guess what? We are given the revealed will of God in His Word. And so as we study it, it will be written upon our consciences as well as the Scripture promises to His people. And so we are, we are then driven to understand what is His preceptive will that we, can, that we can better walk and navigate and live in this life. Now, let me tell you something else too about this. Sometimes it's hard, right? When we're praying and we're trying to discern something we should do. It's very difficult. But it just as we go in our everyday lives, if we are living by His perceptive will, it, it's just, it, I mean, I hate to put it this way, but it's almost like we're on autopilot. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing. You know, we treat one another with respect. We, you know, some, uh, the, the, um, you know, the cashier gives us an extra $5 back by mistake. We take it back to them and say, you know, this is not mine. This is yours. This is the company's. Please take it back. Okay, fine. You know, that type of thing. We live in a right way before the Lord and the world. Um, but, but when it comes to that, trying to understand His decretive will, like who should I marry? Where should I go to school? What job should I take? Should I take that job? Should I not take that job? And those types of things. We also have the Holy Spirit with us. And so the Lord is directing us, and we can trust Him, and we pray. And let me tell you something else. He gives us also the counsel of others. I can't, I'm just going to be rude here, okay? I can't tell you how many times I've given people counsel, and they just ignore it. And, and not that I know everything, but sometimes people are so tied into their emotions with what they want that they can't see the forest for the trees, it's, it's like that maze. My friend in North Carolina owns a corn maze. And when you go into that thing, you can't find your way. But if you're to just fly up above it just a little bit, I could just, hey, you just turn right here, turn right there, go right there, you're there. It's that simple. So that's the Lord's Spirit guiding and directing us. That's the Lord's people working in conjunction with the, 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 the Spirit of God to help direct us. So that is the will of God. And so now that we have an understanding of a little bit more of God's will, how do we apply this to prayer? Because that's really what we want to do here. How do we apply this to prayer? Secondly, the Father gives us strength to do His will. He gives us strength to do His will. And we cry out to Him, Father, give us strength to do Your will. Clearly, clearly it is right to pray that God's will will be done in both senses. We pray both for God's decretive will and His perceptive will. Notice this phrase, your will be done where? On earth as it is in heaven. So think about that just a minute. God's inviting us to join Him in prayer that His will would be done. Now, what might that look like? As we seek the Father to give us strength to do His will, we do it on several levels. First of all, we pray for understanding. We pray for obedience to God's moral or perceptive will. You know, we're, we're crying out to Him, Lord, help me grasp the Word here. Help me understand. Show me things that maybe 
You know, like maybe if you have sin that you struggle with, you spend all your time thinking about that and wrestling with that without noticing how sharp your tongue is. And so as we're going through the Word, we ought to be noticing all those things. What does He tell me about this? What is He saying about that? How am I to live in this way? So we're praying for understanding. And we're, we're asking Him that we could see things as we've never seen them before. That we would learn and acknowledge what His priority is in our lives as we live as His people. So that's one way that we seek. We, we seek to pray in terms of understanding His perceptive will. Secondly, we may pray on, uh, in terms of God's decretive level personally. Now, why do I say that personally? Well, in this, we would be praying for wisdom. We're praying for discernment. We're asking the Lord for guidance when it comes to where to live, the job to take or leave, to whom to marry, how to spend our time and use you know, our gifts. Um, I remember when I was a, a single man and, and you know, I, I wanted to be married and you know, I got out of Bible college and I was like, what am I going to do now? And I started like, kind of dating some girls in the area that I lived in and I'm like, oh, this is not going to work. I mean, it's just, it's, you know, they don't think like I do. You know, what am I going to do? And then I found out because I was really in love with Kristen and she, and she didn't know it. And uh, she came back to school. We graduated together. She came back to school and I found out about it. And the whole time, I'm just, this is what I did. I mean, this is me. That's what I did. I went into where Abraham is sending for his, his son, Isaac, a wife. And I just, that's one of the most fascinating passages. He's telling Isaac, Go and get my son, or his servant, go and get my son Isaac a wife from my people over there. And that's how I felt. I need some of my people, God's people. I need to be married to a God person woman, you know? And, and so, so I was praying, Lord, I, I want a wife, and so give me one. <laughs> Just give me one. Give me a servant to show me the way. And so one of my friends called me up. You'll never guess what happened, Patrick. What? Kristen's broke up with her old boyfriend, and now she's free. You should go after her because you love her, right? And while I were married, right? <laughs> the Lord just, I just trusted in His Word. And I mean, you know, you're talking about, like, this is what I'd call, I'm in college, but a junior high trust. Lord, I just know that you're going to come through. I just know that you're going to do this, that you're going to lead the way. I just had that trust in Him. I mean, can you imagine the trust Abraham had in his servant? Go, the Lord will show the way. And here, this, here the servant brings Isaac back a wife. I'm like, that wouldn't go over well in today's world. But would it? The reason why I ask that question is, would you trust the Lord to bring you a spouse? Would you trust the Lord to bring you healing? Would you trust the Lord to bring you wisdom about the job that you're seeking? So that's where this praying on that, that decretive level personally is, is to look to Him and to get wisdom again from others, to get guidance by the Holy Spirit, and then just trust and walk the way the best you can. Sometimes you'll feel blind. I mean, there was a time when I sat in my room, I kid you not, and I'm like, I'm never going to get married. It'll never happen. I'll never find anyone. There we go. Thirdly, we may pray for His greater decretive will to be working out globally in human history in our time. 
We may pray for those in China who are under severe persecution. We may pray for those throughout the Middle East and Africa who are going through severe persecution that the Lord would give them strength and relief. We may pray for presidents and rulers of the world for our God to work out His plan as they serve in that office. And if we remember in the Scriptures, the Scripture says that He is the one who puts those people in office. That's why when Obama was president, we can't go, oh no. That's why when Trump is president, you can't go, oh no. God put those men there. And this is the thing though, once you see the kings of the Old Testament, He put them in there for either good or evil. And what I mean by that is God does not mean to have evil on us, but He will punish us. We don't know what that is. (laughs) That's the mysterious will. But we are still to pray for them. Could God break through Mr. Bush's heart? Could God break through Mr. Obama's heart? Could God break through Mr. Trump's heart? Absolutely. And the world could be changed, just like it was with Constantine. Do you remember the Roman Empire putting Christians to death? And then people praying, what happened? God went like that, and it was all over. We trust God, and we pray that He would move, that He would work out His plans. And we pray even even in a way, listen to me, that we look to the distant day when Christ returns, and His will will be done perfectly. Until that, we ask that God's will would be done more visibly on earth, that we would be more uh, uh, truly uh, living in godly love and enjoy and with less frustration with sin, that it would begin with me, that it would make its way outward, that it would make its way into our church, it would make its way out of our church, that people would know the will and the way of God, even those who do not know Him. So let me ask you a question. Do you desire the blessings of the Lord without seeing Him Um, without seeking Him for them. Do you? Are our prayers made in a form or a duty rather than uh, obligatory ways? Are we seeking to lovingly live out the, the way that the Lord would have us live? Are we not taught here in this particular passage to approach the Lord as His great name implies, as the living Creator God who made us, who condescended down to earth to reveal Himself in Christ. Do we not believe in His love and grace that He is good? James Boyce rightly says, Jesus phrased this prayer as He did to teach us that we are to live and to pray so much in the sphere of God's name, in the sphere of God's kingdom, and in God's glory that we may be bold in saying, Thy will be done. Thy will be done. He continues with this illustration. I read it this week. I thought, listen to this. It's 1540. Luther His great friend, Frederick Maconius, has become sick and he's expected to die within a short time and he's on his deathbed. And so he writes this scribbling letter to to Luther and he says, I'm dying. Uh, Please pray for me. Luther receives the letter. He opens it. He responds right away. Listen to what he says. Listen. I command thee in the name of God to live because I still have use of thee in the work of reforming the church. 
The Lord will never let me hear that thou art dead, but will permit thee to survive me. For this I am praying, this is my will, and may my will be done, because I seek only to glorify the name of God. Does that prayer sound arrogant to you? They're almost shocking, aren't they? Interestingly though, Myconius already lost his ability to speak even as Luther's letter came. It was read to him and in a short time he revived. Not only that, he recovered completely and he lived six more years to survive Luther by two months. Would we be so bold to pray in that way? Only... Only in the name of Jesus. Only that His will would be done. But sometimes as we know Him, as we get to know Him deeper in the Word, His will becomes our will, doesn't it? How could Luther pray in such a way? Because of the answered prayer of the Father to His own Son. Do you remember when Jesus on the night he was betrayed, went into the garden. He's laying there and he's praying and he said these words. It says he fell on his face and he prayed, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. You see, Jesus knew that God was about to pierce him for our transgressions, to crush him for our iniquities, that he would be wounded for our healing. Jesus loved us, but in his humanity, and maybe even in his godness, he dreaded the pain and the sorrow he faced. And it drove him to ask the question, Lord, will you let this cup pass from me? Now, a lot of theologians surmise what's in that cup. And, and some would put it totally on his human side and say he didn't want to be beaten and mocked and spit upon and hurt humanly. And I think that's very possible. But there's another verse late, earlier in the Scripture where Jesus tells one of the disciples, can you drink the same cup that I drink of? That leads me to think anyone, all, a lot of those guys were killed and so they suffered in the same way Jesus did humanly. So I think there's something deeper here than this. You see, I think the Son of God from all eternity who had fellowshiped with His Father, who even on earth said, I always do the Father's will. He knew He was going to have the wrath of God the Father poured upon Him. And that He was going to have to drink the wrath of God in a, in a God-like sense. Does it diminish the earthly, the human pain? But it, it really focuses on He took God's wrath for us as God. It's, it's, it's weird, isn't it? It's mysterious. And you see what he did. Not what I will, but you. I always do what the Father wills me to do. So what did Jesus do? He went to the cross. He paid for our sins. He was pierced. He was crushed. He was wounded. So I'll ask you, do you see the power of prayer that He's taught us here? He knows what it is to say, I will be done. He knows what it is to submit to that and to trust in God's goodness. And today, 
He is raised from the dead. And He sits at God's mighty right hand. And He awaits for the time of return. And all will be made right. So, brothers and sisters in Christ, in light of this, may we pray in grace boldly.